Welcome back to the Strength and Speed Podcast. I'm your host, Mudgear Battle Lions Pro and Strength and Speed owner, Evan Preparis. Been not recording for a while, been kind of busy. Uh, squeezed out a quick episode last week for uh, just kind of giving you an update and managed to squeeze in another one this week, something I've been trying to get in for a, a little while now. Before we get to him, though, quick word from this episode's sponsor. This episode brought to you by Mudgear. If you're not familiar with Mudgear, go over and check them out. I'm not sure what you've been up to because they're all over the OCR world. Uh, you can now use code BOTL space fan, so bottle fan, as in Battle of the Lions fan, uh, to save 10% off Mudgear. They got socks, they got car seat covers, they got t-shirts. Um, I have a sneak. Am I allowed to say what the new product is? I don't know. Uh, there's a new product uh, for men coming out. I'll say that. So keep an eye on Mudgear, um, and then keep an eye. We'll be, we'll be testing some of them uh, over here at the Mudgear Battle Alliance Pro Team before it is released to the public, making sure it's good to go, and we'll put it through the paces there. And then on top of that, they just hired two new people on their staff. Uh, so if you're watching the Go Rec Games, and you, you might have seen Kristen doing some of the live covers there, and there's also uh, Mike also working on kind of the backside some of the publicity type stuff. So big things happening there. The company's expanding. They're doing great. Uh, it's great to see, especially post-COVID. So super excited for the future of Mudgear and all the stuff they have in store. Let's get to today's episode. Joining me, I got Richard Carson. I first met Richard uh, at Infinite Hero College Station. So he is a recipient of uh, Infinite Hero Foundation, a combat veteran, and quadriplegic. Richard, welcome. Yeah, how's it going, Evan? Pretty good. Yeah, you know, we um, yeah, I hadn't met you before the Infinite Hero event, and um, like it's like most combat veterans, uh, we talked for about fifteen minutes, and then uh, I was like, oh, this guy's great, you know, like immediate immediate bond I felt with you, um, and it was it was great having you at the event. Yeah, yeah, it's funny you say that. It doesn't take long for two combat vets to figure out if they're gonna get along or not. You know, it's uh, like you said, five minutes, and you know. Yeah, yeah. So let's um. So Richard's done, yeah, obviously he had some, some combat injuries, and then, uh, but he, he has done some Tough Mudders in the past. Um, so we're going to start off talking about some combat stuff and his injuries, and then talk about some of the process there. And uh, yeah, we'll just kind, of, just kind of shoot it for a while. So uh, Richard, uh, 68 Whiskey, which is a combat medic, uh, did a deployment to Afghanistan. So let's, let's pick up like, um, you know, kind of why you entered the Army initially, and then we'll jump to the uh, deployment. Yeah, so I was a firefighter EMT in Arizona right out of high school trying to go full-time, and the, the place where I lived in Arizona, they just couldn't afford to hire anybody at the time just because of the way the market was and, and tax cuts and things, and so I joined the Army as a medic, figuring I'd do my time and then get a, go back to the fire department, so I joined as a medic, and uh, I went to basic, went to AIT, I went to Fort Carson, Colorado where I was with 4th Infantry and found out that I was deploying about two months later. So I deployed to Afghanistan and I spent just short of a year as a line medic for a light infantry unit there. And April 17, 2010, we were on patrol and we went in to clear a compound that was going to be used for overwatch later that night. And uh, when we went through, I went through a doorway first, and one of my team leaders came through the same doorway behind me. He stepped on an IED that I had missed or something, but when I went to the doorway, it didn't go off. When he came through, it went off, so he uh, ultimately ended up passing away. He made it to Kandahar, and I was injured in that, so 
little little rundown of my injuries. I lost half my thigh on one leg. I lost half my calf on the other leg. I had a colostomy bag for about a year. I spent about a year in a wheelchair, three years on a cane, relearning and rebuilding the muscle to be able to walk again. Um, my right hand, I degloved the palm, so all the skin and everything off the palm was gone. They had to do grafts and transplants to fix that. So basically reconstructed my whole right hand and blew out both my eardrums to the point that they had to actually replace them through surgery. So, you know, it was it was a quite the injury and it took me about two years as far as a med board process to actually retire out of the army in 2012. Wow. So do you do you remember that incident uh, clearly or because uh, I was talking to another combat veteran who was injured. And he can't remember anything from his injury. Like there's a, there's a several day gap in time. So yes, yes and no. So I remember the whole incident, the way it happened and everything. So when it happened, being the medic, you know, my, my sole job was to take care of my guys when they get hurt. Right. That's, that's what I'm there for. Yeah. So when I got injured, you know, there was physically nothing I could do to care for my buddy. And, and in fact, there was actually a third guy injured that we didn't know at the time. Uh, we found that out later as the helicopter was taking us away that there was a third guy injured. But when all of this took place, I, I remember the whole incident very well. Um, and even though I was injured, I would not let anybody treat me because I wanted to make sure that my one of my guys was taken care of. Mm-hmm. So I was directing care to the best of my ability based off of what I was being told his injuries were until another medic was able to show up on the, the QRF force and, and actually get out there to help out. So I remember all of that. I remember getting on the bird, the bird coming in and landing. Um, I remember we took off. We circled around. We landed back down because there was a third gentleman that was injured as well that at the time nobody realized because he was helping to treat patients. So his injuries were enough to send him home, but he was able to, to actually return to duty eventually. And so I remember all of that. Now, once they started pumping me with meds on the bird, I, it starts getting a little fuzzy there. I remember getting to Kandahar and, uh, I remember about coming off of a stretcher because they tried to take my chewing tobacco away and told me I wouldn't need <laughs> this anymore. And I said, you're out your damn mind. Um, that, and they tried to take my pocket knife away. And I said, nope, I still need that too. And they mm -hmm. said, not where you're going. And then kind of gets a little fuzzy from there. You know, I remember waking up at one point and my platoon was there in Kandahar, which is about a three-hour truck ride from, from where we were stationed at. So I remember seeing some of the guys there, again, kind of in and out from there. I wound up in Bagram, and at the time, my uh, PA, my physician's assistant that I worked with, happened to be in Bagram for something. So when I got there, I woke up at one point and, and he was at my bedside and I was like, sir, what, what the hell are you doing here? You're, you're not supposed to be here. And then again, kind of in and out for a little bit. And then next thing you know, I kind of woke up in DC. So I skipped over Germany, all of the normal routes, because that's when that volcano went off in Europe. Oh yeah. So I woke up in DC 
and uh, mom, my mom was there and everything. And you know, once I, once I got to DC with all the meds that they had me on, you know, I don't remember all of the details. It gets a little fuzzy there because I was kind of in and out of uh, you know with everything with all the surgeries and and whatnot that I was going through. So, but as far as the actual injury at the time it happened, I do remember all of that part. Gotcha. Now, I love what you said about, um, and I'm not surprised, again, based off the day we spent together, I'm not surprised that you were injured and you were still trying to, like, do your job and make sure everyone else was good to go. Um, that's just, again, one day of knowing you, and I feel like that's totally on uh, personality for you. Yep. And, um, you know, it, it reminds me of a lot of the guys I worked with. So, um, yeah, just thank you. And uh, some pretty, you know, just insane injuries there. Um, so, you know, physically, you mentioned some of the recovery very briefly. Uh, talk, talk to me a little bit more about like psychologically, right? Because I mean, you're, you know, we come from like a type A personality, right? Like I can right, do everything by myself. Right. You know, what, what was, um, you know, how did you kind of work through that? Or are you still working through that? You know, t- talk to me a little about that. Man, that, that's a tough one. That's a that's a that's a daily thing, you know, and I still have good days and bad days, you know, at, at the time. You know, I I told myself I was the worst medic in the world. My guys didn't deserve me because I failed them. Um, after what happened in Afghanistan, you know, it's I went down a dark road. I, I was drinking real heavy. I mean, I was I was pretty much ready to check out and and pull the trigger. Um, mm. You know, it's it it was tough on me, especially you know, especially when everything happened and I couldn't. I couldn't treat my buddy. And then I started doing a therapeutic horseback riding program through the wounded warrior or through the wounded warrior battalion there at Fort Lewis, Washington. And it was kind of one of those where they said, well, you got to do something. You can't just sit in the barracks all day. And I said, well, I don't want to do anything. I want to check out. So Mm -hmm. I figured, all right, I'll go out here for a day. I'll say I tried it and check out later. So I tried it. You know, I kind of grew up around horses, so it wasn't something new to me. But the therapeutic side of it was something that was new to me in a way. So once I went out there and and did it, you know, it 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 had a huge, huge impact. So I started doing that on a regular basis and, you know, wound up as a participant. Eventually, I wound up as a volunteer and helping to teach classes and help other veterans with it and um, got myself a service dog. So that's kind of what started turning things around, you know, and I, and I still had struggles and um, part of it was just figuring out, you know, what, what am I going to do now? It's my, my whole identity was wrapped up in being a firefighter and, and, and doing that thing. I lived at a hundred miles an hour, you know, a total adrenaline junkie. Mm-hmm. So when I got injured, you know, I'm on a cane, I'm in a wheelchair, like, my my whole past was wrapped up in racetracks, working safety crews, uh, construction, lumber yards, just a lot of physical manual labor type stuff and the fire department and everything. And so I ended up going to school and uh, I went and got my, my nursing license and ended up becoming a nurse. And, uh, you know, just between going to school and and really just finding the horses and that and 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 doing that kind of thing, finding ways to volunteer to give back to other veterans that were having a hard time, letting them know, hey, you know, you're 
you're not alone. Mm-hmm. You know, there's there's others of us that have, that have been there and gone through it, and you know, we've we've managed to pull through. And I'm not saying what worked for me is going to work for you, but let's give this a try. Let's let's see what happens. Yeah, you know, and you said um, some of the you know, like when it, after it happened, you were thinking like I'm I'm the worst medic ever, blah blah mm-hmm. blah, you know, and. You know, I, I know those wounds are, are deep and can affect for years uh, beyond, like, the initial incident. So, um, you know, from, from another com- one combat vet to another, like, definitely not true. And we all know there – you can call it luck. You can call it God's providence. You can call it – you can call it whatever you want. But there's – you know, there's I, – I have multiple stories where I was, like, a hair away from triggering something or, you know, uh, my guys yeah. were a hair away from triggering something. And it's just like, why didn't that go off today? I don't know. You know, right. maybe someone was looking out for us. Maybe, maybe it did go off because um, you're the type of guy who could physically handle something like this, and someone else it would crush. You know, so who, right. who knows? Okay. Who knows? There's that. Another part of it is, you know, it's like people will say, "Oh, so you know, it's so so you got blown up once," and it's like, well, that's that's part of it, you know, because yeah, one sent me home, but that doesn't include the other times that we got blown up, yeah. so to speak. To where you're in the concussion zone, you know, you're you're in the blast radius, but you maybe didn't get an injury. Right. You know, so some of that doesn't get taken into account sometimes. Yeah, I mean, my vehicle's been hit directly, and my convoy's been hit, like, you know, within a vehicle or two of me from my, my location, I don't know, half a dozen times, something like that, right? So, right. Yeah. It's like a Russian roulette a little bit, you know? Spinning the... You know, Yeah. <laughs> you're spinning and, and at, at the time at the time you really don't think about it because you know it, it takes a, t- a certain type of personality to go into the combat arms you know infantry medic that kind of thing you know it's it, it takes a certain kind of person yes absolutely absolutely yeah and it, what's funny is like um i came back from uh my first two deployments and i was like yeah you know like there was no like really close incidents and like the more times that has passed and the more I've been kind of removed uh, from that, those like line positions, the more I look back and I'm like, yeah, I guess there was some close ones. Uh huh. <laughs> you know, like, but, but again, you're, you're caught up in that a type personality where like it, it becomes the norm and it's like, Oh, well, right. you know, this happened to me, but let me tell you a story about one of my friends who right. uh, something else happened to, and it was a lot well, closer. You and know? the other part of it too is, I mean, you, when you join and you go into that type of a, a job, you know, you, you're basically saying, Hey, I'm putting my life on the line. So when, when you go there, you know, it's, if I go out on patrol and I'm scared every day, yep. I'm not doing the rest of my guys any good. So you get to a certain point where, you know, the gunshots are going off, the IEDs are going off and you're like, Oh, whatever. Right. I was 20 foot away. No biggie. Yeah. Like I had 20 more feet you of know? space. It, it wasn't even close. <laughs> yeah, right, you know, it's it, it's like getting into theater, you know, Afghanistan, Iraq, doesn't matter where it is, you know, it's the first couple of days you're there, you know, it, it, some places have the sirens that go off for incoming rounds. The first time you hear it, you're running for a bunker. You know, two months in, you hear it come off and you listen. Oh, no, that's, that's a mile away. Right. You're sleeping right through it and you're like, why are you guys getting up? Why are you even worried? 
I, to be honest with you, I, we, I never got out of bed. I would just lay in bed. I, I slept in a tent right. on my second deployment and it was like, right. well, if I stand up and run, I'm going to be a bigger target and uh, I'm just going to lay here and right. uh, I mean, pull my us, covers a little higher. We're at a small platoon base, you know, not, not a huge place like Kandahar. We're at a smaller place. I mean, we, we get stuff like that. I mean, there's times where you're literally in your boxers and a vest. <laughs> coming up on the wall because something's going on you're like is this important no nah, this ain't a big deal all right go back to bed boys yeah all right so uh you know pretty serious injuries uh obviously a lot of psychological um you know hurdles to overcome there um tell me about kind of how things progress from there and uh, uh the next injury so from there so i told you i went to nursing school i got my nursing license so i ended up going back to work eventually um I wound up working at a nursing home for dementia and psych patients. Um, never somewhere I thought I wanted to be, but it actually worked out really good. I really enjoyed it. I would have preferred try, you know, or uh, uh, trauma, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But as an LVN, it's a little harder to get into those roles because I didn't have the full RN. But I was still working on it. Um, I moved to Pullman, Washington on the east side of the state. And so once I got out there, you know, again, kind of went downhill a little bit again, just because I had moved somewhere new. I didn't have my support system, didn't know anybody. Um, once I got out there, I started volunteering with a therapeutic horseback riding program through Washington State University. And so I started doing that again. I started helping to teach classes for kids and adults with disabilities um started working on trying to start up a veterans program um ended up getting my own horses so i had two of my own horses my ex-girlfriend now had two of her horses so you know we real active and all that stuff um i went back to work wound up as an assistant director and then i finally recovered enough from all my injuries you know i was throwing 100 tons of hay in the summer pretty much fully active full able-bodied again i got back into volunteer firefighting i did that for about two years roughly and then in 2017 uh, it was january of 17 i was actually on my way to work and i don't know exactly what happened 100 percent on this one but I rolled my truck down an embankment and I broke C5 through T3 in my neck and became a quadriplegic. Now, I don't know if I hit ice. I don't know if I fell asleep. I don't know if I blew a tire and had a PTSD thing. I mean, I, it's really hard to say what happened exactly, but I remember being midair and saying, holy shit, this is going to hurt. And then laying across the front seat of the truck and and realizing I've got a broken neck and I can't get to my phone and this isn't good. And this was 6.30 in the morning, roughly 5.30, 6.30 in the morning. And I'm in the middle of nowhere because the nursing home was in a real small town, little farming town. It's January in Washington, snow on the ground. The farmers, they're not out working the fields yet. So it was, I'm going to say 
probably two hours before somebody actually found me, give or take. Because in that part of the country, you know, it doesn't get daylight in the wintertime until 8 o'clock, 9 o'clock sometimes, just depending. And it was daylight when someone finally found me and was able to call the fire department and, and get me to the hospital. So, Jeez. And how, how many months or years after the uh, initial uh, Afghanistan injury was this? So that was 2017. It was January of 17. So, I mean... Almost seven years. Okay. You know, you, you mentioned something uh, prior before we started telling the story about how, like, um, kind of your road, you know, to getting better wasn't linear. You know, you know, you had good days and bad days, and sometimes you get to slumps. And I think that's kind of, like, important for people to know, anyone that's having, you know, personal um, challenges in their lives, right? Like, no one's, right. no one's path is linear, whether it's emotional health, fitness, you know, whatever, right? Like it's not, it's not a line. It's just a right. It's an up and down. And you know, the, the difference is where it's trending. Is it trending up or is it trending down? You know? Oh, it, it, and it's a constant, but even today, you know, I'm, it's what 22. Yep. You know, I'm, I'm 12 years past the Afghanistan injury. I'm five years past the broken neck. And even today I still have good days and bad days. Mm. So tell me about some of the, uh, I guess, again, as much as you you want to share, and uh, I know we were talking about some of the the medical pro- the medical uh, challenges you have. Uh, so if you have small children, this might not be the, the appropriate time for them to listen. Uh, tell me some of your kind of your medical challenges from the uh, broken neck injury. Man, some of those. Let's see where where do I start? So when I first left the hospital, this was back in 2018. Mm-hmm. I went home. It was me and the girlfriend. We went back to our place. We were supposed to have home health care. Well, that didn't pan out. Ended up with a pressure sore on my toe. And I uh, wound up going into this, the community living center in Spokane, Washington. And uh, they found that that particular sore wound up with a bone infection in it called osteomyelitis, which is... Basically, it's a bone infection that's real hard to heal. So I ended up cutting my little toe off. So that's one of them. Um, another one is, you know, I've, I've got to do a bowel program every other day because just, things just don't work right. So I've got to do a suppository in the rectum, you know, every other day and do digital stimulation. So there's, there's that. You know, I never, never thought I'd have so many things up my ass in my life. But, you know, hey, it is what it is, right? Can't do much about that. Uh, let's see. Some other things I've had. Let's see. I went from having a catheter, an indwelling catheter called a superpubic catheter. I had that for about four years until I progressed to enough that I was finally able to start self-cathing. So once I got rid of the catheter that was in all the time and using a leg bag, now every three to four hours I actually have to self-cath and stick a tube through the tip of my penis, up the urethra, and into the bladder to, to drain my bladder. Um, another one that I've had back in 2020, beginning of 2020, I spent about six months in the hospital for a pressure sore. Mm-hmm. I, uh, there's a bar on the back of my chair for folding the backrest down, and you know, one thing led to another, and somehow I wound up sitting on that bar for about two months without knowing it. 
and got a real nasty, nasty sore back there. They had to do flap surgery and all kinds of plastic surgery and that to kind of heal that up. Um, yeah, I mean, that's that's some of the big ones, you know. It's, yeah. Wild. Wild. So tell me, you know, you're – you you you're you're recovering from this Afghanistan injury. Things are progressing, you know, generally on an uphill climb, and then you essentially get reset back to zero here with like another just insane injury. Uh, talk to right. me again a little about the psychological impact of like, um, you know, just taking a huge. So, so I, I tell I'll tell people, and and it sounds kind of fucked up to say this, but. Thank God I got blown up in Afghanistan before I broke my neck. Hmm. And, and the reason I say that is physically the broken neck is 10 times more difficult injury to come back from as far as what I can do, can't do, everything like that. The mental side of it, though, is no different because, yeah, it's a massive injury, but mentally it's, it's no different different if that makes sense it's, it's hard to explain mm. but having been through it once before it's not like i i didn't have practice so to speak yeah, so going right. into this one it actually made things i'm not going to say easier because again there's there's good days and bad days and i did go down a pretty dark path in the beginning just with the initial part of it you know i was i was positive i was positive and then all of a sudden once I got home, I went downhill real quick. But again, having been through it before, I realized it. I was like, you know, I, I got to start doing something to to pull myself out of this. You know, it's I know this sucks right now, but I've been here before. There's a way to to get out of it. You know, it's this is not the end of the world. There there is still some hope. I'm not dead. I've still got some functional ability. I can still do stuff. I just need to find a new way of doing things. Gotcha. Yeah. Just, just taking it all in. I mean, I'm, yeah. You know, the the uh, that mental perseverance uh, you show in your personal life. You know, I think, um, you know, it just it just speaks volumes. I'll, I'll just kind of say that. You know, in the uh, in a lot of our training, they teach like they talk about the importance of like perseverance and uh, for uh, special operation stuff and like operating, you know, in case you get captured and stuff like that. And like essentially, it makes a difference. And if you've read, um, there's a book by Nick Rowe who's a POW for five years. He has stories where he's like persevering, and someone else shows up and basically gives up hope immediately, and they're dead within like a couple months. And you know, five years later, right. this dude's still there. So, um, right. Obviously that's like an extreme example, the kind of the opposite extreme, the less extreme is right. Like just regular endurance races, obviously, um, things are going to go wrong and, um, you know, people who persevere, uh, will make it to the finish line, obviously. And, uh, yeah. All right. All right. Let's, so, um, we're going to jump ahead again. And, uh, so I, I get a call. All right. There's going to be a quadriplegic coming to, Tough Motor College Station. Um, he's gonna follow me along, and I was like, uh, "Okay, um, like not sure how this is gonna work." Be like, because my understanding of quadriplegic was like absolutely no functioning arms, legs. So tell me like the proper definition here, um, because you have some functionality, right? Right. So I do. So so the definition of a quadriplegic, 
in, in layman's terms, to put it simple, it's somebody that has all four limbs affected. So gotcha. there's, there's different levels of quadriplegic based off of where your injury is in your spinal cord. Some guys have no functional ability whatsoever other than they can move a joystick with their hand. Some don't even have that. They might use their tongue or their chin because that's the only thing they can move to be able to move a, a, a manual or a power chair. So I'm C6, C7. So I've got pretty good functional ability. You know, I'm at the gym doing CrossFit. I play wheelchair rugby. I still work horses. Um, I, I volunteer for Paralyzed Veterans of America. I wound up taking a job with them, advocating for spinal cord rights. I mean, it, it all just depends on, on the person's ability because there are different levels. Gotcha. Gotcha. So anyway, you show up with this and someone's like, you got to check out his truck. And I'm not a big car guy, um, but I know I know a nice truck when I see one. So tell people what your truck is. And so I've got a, I got a 2018 Chevy Silverado, a three-quarter ton pickup, four-wheel drive, off-road bump. I mean, I, I put it all kinds of places. I hunt, I fish with it. So I actually drive it from my, my wheelchair, from my manual chair. So both side, the, on the driver's side, both the front and back door open up like the Lamborghini Goldwing style door. And then there's a platform that my wheelchair sits on that swings out about 45 degrees and drops to the ground to get me behind the wheel. Yeah. It's, it, it looks like a giant transformer. I was like, oh, my goodness. Like the whole side of the truck opens up and the, the, you know, the, the platform comes down. So it was pretty cool. Um, not gonna lie. So tell me a little bit about um your experience watching Infinite Hero, just some kind of external observations from a, a third party. So you know the the group that we followed, they were they were an entertaining bunch. So it was a bunch of young cadets from the ROTC and obviously they, they worked together pretty well because they, they've been doing it for a while. Um they uh they were not always the smartest bunch on how they attacked their obstacle, but they had the brute strength to be able to just power through it. So it was uh, it was an interesting group to watch. I'll give it that. There was definitely some easier ways they could have done things, but yeah. being young and and having that strength, it was it was nice to see them work as a team to to complete the obstacles. Yeah, you know, playing to their strengths. They're a bunch of uh future their future officers and hard charging marines right the majority of them are going right. to the marines right. so they they love that full frontal assault <laughs> so right on all right um oh obviously uh, all right but let's talk about infinite hero so when does uh, kind of infinite hero come into the picture and talk to me about some of the uh, so benefits you received so so i actually received what's called an ibot wheelchair from them it's actually a pretty cool chair. So it's got Segway technology built into it. So it'll actually balance up on two wheels so you can actually get eye to eye with everybody. Um, it'll go up and down stairs if you put it in a mode. It's got a four wheel drive. It'll go up and down a four inch curb um, with no ramp whatsoever. It's, it's actually a really cool chair for, for guys that are disabled. For getting them back into the outdoors. I mean, I use it for a lot of outdoor stuff. Um, just places that aren't very accessible because it, I can get out there and, and do some of the things I used to love to do. So I got contacted by a friend of mine's mom. 
because they were looking for recipients for this chair. And she asked me, do you mind if I put you in to receive this chair? I didn't know anything about it. I didn't know who it was through. I said, sure, no problem. You know, I, I don't mind at all. So she puts me in for this chair and I kind of forgot about it, you know, and it, this was going into 2020 when this happened and I'm in the hospital with my pressure sore and I get this call from Infinite Hero Foundation from somebody in their program that said, I'm going to be getting this chair. All right, cool. So it actually worked out really good timing-wise because I was in the hospital, so I was able to do all of the seating stuff and everything to get the measurements to my therapist that they needed to actually get fitted for the chair. And then when they told me I was getting the chair, I also got a deal called an ant lift for the bed of my truck because they had partnered with this other company. So the ant lift's pretty cool. It's a lift in the bed of your truck that works like if you ever seen a dump truck with the tarp and the arms that come back, mm. kind of works on the same principle as far as how it comes back. And it's got a winch on it, and it'll lift anything up to 1,000 pounds up into the bed of your truck. So because I was getting the iBot and I had a pickup, this device also came with it as a way to be able to make sure I could get it in and out of my truck, which was pretty cool. Now, a little bit of funny backstory on that. The gentleman that owns the Antlift Company, I'd actually met him previously in the Bucky's gas station parking lot in Bastop, Texas, just randomly. <laughs> okay. And I got a hold of him. This was before I knew I was getting the iBot, before I was knew I was getting this Antlift. It was about two weeks before all this. I had sent the gentleman an email just to get information on the lift because we just hadn't been able to touch base because he was busy and that and everything and sent him an email. He goes, hey, man, I'm going to call you, like, blah, blah, blah. Well, then, no shit, two weeks later, I find I'm getting this iBot. And I'm like, oh, well, you're also going to get an ant list. And I'm like, wait a minute. Hold on. I know this guy. But it kind of took me a minute to remember his name. So as soon as I get off the phone with them telling me I'm getting all this, I called up John, the guy that owns the Antlist Company, and I'm like, hey, John, hey, Richard, like, what's going on, man? Sorry I haven't gotten a hold of you. I'm like, hey, man, you're building me a list. And he goes, <laughs> what? I said, yeah, man, I'm, I'm getting an iBot through Infinite Hero Foundation, and apparently it comes with an Antlist. So kind of a, a small world there, you know, I just randomly met a guy at a gas station, emailed him, and then two weeks later find out I'm getting all this stuff. So, but like I said, I mean, Long story short there is, I mean, the, the iBot itself, I mean, it's, it's a phenomenal chair. And, you know, I, I did have to go back east to New Hampshire to do some training to receive it. Hmm. But since getting that chair, I mean, I've used it all over the place, especially in, in rural areas where there's just not a lot of wheelchair accessibility. Because I'm not the kind of guy that, that goes to big cities that are accessible. I like hunting and fishing and going places where wheelchairs have no business being. Love it. Love it. So tell me a little bit about what you're up to now. You know, are you, are you working again? Did you, did you go back to work after the injury, et cetera? So, yeah, man. Uh, so, you know, it's, it's been five years since, since I broke my neck. So in the beginning, um, 
I didn't work. I wanted to, but it was just real tough. I had to figure out how to live with my injury again, figure out how to have fun. So started doing some rugby, wheelchair rugby, doing a lot of uh, sporting clay, shotgun shooting, rifle shooting, hunting, fishing, just kind of living it up for a little bit. And then I started volunteering with Paralyzed Veterans of America with the local chapter here in Texas first and just different different roles. I worked as a hospital liaison for a little bit, kind of just talking to patients, figuring out what we could help them with and kind of relaying their concerns to the service officer to, to help them out. Um, from there, I wound up working as a uh, satellite director for the San Antonio chapter and kind of helped running that for a little bit. And then from there, I went into being a field advisory committee member. So PVA will go in, they'll do um, interviews and, and meetings with all of the spinal cord hubs throughout the VA across the country. And with that, they usually have a member from PVA that's in a chair. So that way there's somebody that's in a chair just to get that perspective on things throughout the meeting. Mm. So that kind of put me in a unique position to where I was doing the site surveys, I was doing all this stuff, and then a position opened up in the medical services committee as a paid position in which you had to be a nurse. You had to have involvement with spinal cord and, and certain criteria to meet the, the job specifications. And because I didn't let my nursing license lapse, I was in a unique spot that I fit all of the criteria and was actually able to take a paid position with Paralyzed Veterans of America advocating for veterans with spinal cord injuries to get better care within the VA system. So, yeah, I thought that was pretty cool because who better to be kind of be passionate about some of that stuff than a guy in a chair in the first place. And yeah. it kind of allowed me to put a lot of the stuff that I was doing already advocating and, and helping other veterans out into a new position to where I could even have possibly a greater impact over the long run. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to ask one more follow-up question, you know, like what, what good has come out of um, your injuries, but I think you partially answered it. Um, is there anything else you want to kind of add Man, to that? Where do I start? What good has come from my injuries? Well, that's a, that's a tough question. So. I've almost died several times, you know, with everything going on. So what goods come from it? Honestly, I don't know if I'd be the person I am today if it wasn't for my injuries. Mm. It, it's it, it, it's kind of counterintuitive, you know. It's Yeah, I'm, I'm a positive person. You know, I always look for the way, best way to deal with stuff just because of who I am. And I've been through a lot of really tough situations. You know, one of the things we didn't touch on was the situation with my dad where he committed suicide when I was 18. That's mm -hmm. a whole nother story. But, you know, it's part of my injuries has taught me that, you know, it's, there's a way to adapt and overcome from anything. The thing is, you have to figure out, you have to apply yourself and figure out, okay, here's what I got. What can I do? And at that point, your mind is the only limitation. If you want to do something, if you put your mind to it, there's a way to do it. I don't care if it's fishing, cooking, hunting, uh, driving a, 
a car. I mean, I, I don't care what it is. If you really want to do something, if you put your mind to it, there's a way to do it. Yeah. Powerful. Powerful. Well, Richard, man, I mean, moving story and uh, some great lessons there. Um, the one, the one question I did, I was gonna, I'm gonna ask that I did not prep you for, which I asked most of my listeners, is tell us something people would be surprised to know about you. And honestly, I feel like you, I feel like almost everything you've told me has been surprising. But if there's anything um, kind of unique or something funny, people uh, would be surprised. Yeah, I, I got one for you. Okay. Junior year of high school, I moved to Arizona. Okay. New school, new town, new kid on the block. Somebody told me I didn't have the balls to be a cheerleader. Mm. So my junior year of high school, I was a cheerleader for both football and basketball. All right. Now, having met me, I'm not the kind of, you figure I would have played football, I would have done all this, that, and the other. No, I was a cheerleader for football and basketball in high school. All right. Did that, without, without, with keeping a PG, did that work in your favor for meeting women? Keeping a PG? Yes, it did. <laughs> nice. Now, with that being said, I also lived in the Lake Havasu area, and if you're familiar with the area, you'll understand what that means. But again, I'm not. Yeah. Okay. So Lake, Lake Havasu is a very big spring break town. Okay, gotcha. Where I was also a firefighter and, and had to go out on the river a lot. Right. Okay. So yeah, yeah. Being a cheerleader, <laughs> it, it definitely definitely helped. Right on. So uh, the, the new kid in the school and a cheerleader, everybody wants to get to know you because they want to know what the deal is. Gotcha. So I I I try to match something the listeners say, um, or the I'm sorry, my guest says. So mine, um, which I think I've said on the podcast, I feel, I feel like I'm running out of things. Um, I was a fairly weird kid in high school. I just kind of marched to the beat of my own drum there um, with clothes and stuff like that. Um, but kind of closely tired into yours, I was in drama and musicals in high school. So again, not the, the special forces operator, athlete uh, person. That was definitely not me in high school. So I was in uh, the drama productions and musicals and you know most of it, was I, I kind of enjoyed the people that were there and, uh, you know, worked all right for the ladies too. Uh, again, cause you're, you're in a close environment with a lot of, uh, females and then some of the males are less interested in women than you. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so that helped. <laughs> it Nar- really does. Narrows the pool. <laughs> so, yeah. All right. Um, Again, Richard, thanks for coming on. Uh, for our listeners, uh, we talked a lot about mental endurance or mental strength and stuff for this this episode. Uh, my newest book on endurance is out on Amazon. It's on hard copy and digital. If you want a signed copy, I think the my author copies are back ordered. I don't know how that's possible, but um, I won't have that in the Strength and Speed online store probably for a couple more weeks. But if you want a copy now, uh, it's on Kindle, and uh, you can order hard copy off Amazon. Uh, that again, that that title is on endurance. You can find out a little bit more about it on my teamstrengthspeed.com website. And again, I pulled quotes and lessons learned from the podcast, you know, from the last 200 ish episodes and made kind of like a step-by-step guide. Here's how to improve endurance, kind of focused on the mental side of things. And then uh, the big reason I wanted to get Richard on the podcast ASAP was because June 4th, 5th, 
uh, come out to Tough Mudder, New England. I'm going to be doing a charity event. Normally, I partner with Folds of Honor. This year, I'm partnering with Infinite Hero Foundation. And the plan is to start with a normal Tough Mudder wave at Stratton Mountain on June 4th at 7.45. And then Everest the mountain. So I'm going to do the Tough Mudder course and then run uh, while during like normal operating hours and then run up and down the mountain like in the middle of the night uh, to accumulate the height of Everest over the course of probably take about 30 hours to be honest with you. Um, so that, that is the plan. That is the fundraiser. Uh, Bobby Ross will be there shooting film for it. I got, I know I got Daniel Leonard flying out to pace me also um, looking for more pacers. I know I got a uh, uh, Cutler Holland, another strength speed guy coming out to pace me and uh, anyone who wants to come out, you're welcome. Uh, you, you have to sign up for Tough Mudder if you want to pace during normal Tough Mudder hours. If you want to pace me in the middle of the night, uh, you don't have to sign up for Tough Mudder. And again, just like normally we do a $50 donation, get you a belt buckle uh, for the OCR Everest. And um, if you can't make it out to the event, there's a virtual event option. Uh, again, head over to TeamStrengthSpeed.com. Look for the info on there as far as how to participate in the virtual event. But basically, it's you're doing one-tenth. So you're doing about 28 obstacles and about one-tenth the height of Everest. Um, as fast as you can, and then it'll be loosely competitive. We'll send gold, silver, bronze buckles in addition to the normal participant buckle. To anyone that wants to participate, uh, again, just requires a small donation. And all the money you donate goes to Infinite Hero Foundation. I don't take any of that. Again, I pay for the buckles essentially out of book sales and uh, other sales from my website and just kind of eat that cost and uh, use that to raise money for Infinite Hero Foundation. Plus, we'll have uh, Becca from Infinite Hero Foundation at um tough mother new england so there'll be a, we'll have like a booth there and uh definitely stop by say hi make a donation she's got some swag to give away um earn you can earn a buckle all that good stuff oh okay uh i think that's about it richard thanks again for coming on no problem man thanks for having me yeah it's been fun and uh yeah we'll have to we'll keep in touch and uh We'll talk again, and then hopefully Infinite Hero Honor Challenge comes back next year, and uh, we would you know, love to have you back out at another location because it was uh, super cool to see, like, a recipient um, uh, uh, of another combat veteran kind of, like, out there telling his story. I, I really enjoyed that, and I think the cadets did too. Yeah, man, I, I'm looking forward to it. I, I had a blast out there. You know, I, I can't participate in it anymore just because of my limitations, but it's always fun to get out there and just see it and, and participate. So. Yeah. Right on. All right. We will catch you later. Thanks everyone for listening. And uh, yeah, see you soon.